Hello there, and welcome to Preprints in Motion, a podcast taking a deep dive in the fast-paced world of preprints. Join us as we sit down with early career researchers, discuss their latest preprint, and find out about their journey through the muddy marshes of academia. Hit that subscribe button, leave a rating, and find us on Twitter at MotionPod. Support us by heading over to buymeacoffee.com slash preprints. But for now, let's get into the show. open access week and to celebrate we have review comments on to talk all things preprint peer review i guess to start with we should maybe have some brief introductions so if you could both introduce yourselves that would be great hello i'm sarah monaco and I'm the managing editor of Review Commons. So uh, something about me, I am originally from Italy, as you might hear, and I studied in Naples, uh, my hometown, and then uh, I, um, I moved to, uh, to Heidelberg for, for my postdoc. So before joining EMBO, I was a scientist. I was um, doing my research in the field of uh, cellular and molecular biology, uh, immunology, and, and stem cells. And uh, uh, since four years, I have joined EMBO and I have been always involved uh, with, uh, with Review Commons. So I was actually like the first dedicated editor to uh, Review Commons. And it has been just a great experience to work at this very exciting project so far. And I'm looking forward to tell you more about it. Cool. Well, I, I guess it's my turn. Um, I am Thomas Lemberger. I'm currently the, the deputy head of scientific publications at, at EMBO and the head of open science implementation. And um, my background is really hardcore molecular biology. Um, I started to work at EMBO as a scientific editor at the EMBO journal, and then I launched the journal Molecular Systems Biology, which was our first open access journal at EMBO and, and one of the very first uh, after PLOS Biology uh, in, in general in the life sciences. Um, I was for a long time chief editor of this journal, and, and now I'm more concerned with uh, finding ways to, to implement the practice of open science in the publication or next to the publication uh, process, including, of course, preprint. And, and I'm in charge of the development of Review Commons, which is a super exciting project because it's really at the interface between new policies to, to really foster the practice of open science and and disseminate scientific knowledge in a, in a very open way. Um, scientific publishing, we, we work hand-in-hand hand with, with scientific journals. Um, and then technology. There are, there are many technological challenges in, in a project like Review Commons, and it is also an opportunity to develop new technologies to mine the scientific literature and also to mine the peer review process. So we, we are we're sort of, it's a very exciting uh, time to be now in, in scientific publishing uh, in, in this area. It, it definitely is. Um, so could you introduce what Review Commons actually is for everyone? Yes. So, uh, <laughs> so um, Review Commons is uh, uh, a project. This is like a platform that basically offers peer review of, uh, of preprint. So uh, we are um, we partnered with uh, uh, seventeen journals at the beginning. We have a consortium of journals um, in Review Commons, and uh, um, and after offering this peer review of preprint, we streamlined the 
publication of uh, uh, our um, reviewed preprint uh, on these journals. So the aim of the entire Review Commons project is to, uh, first of all, uh, offer like a faster dissemination of peer-reviewed research in form of uh, reviewed preprints, uh, but also to uh, avoid multiple rounds of peer review. So, I mean, with Review Commons, we also want to somehow contribute to make the publishing system a little bit more uh, efficient. So in Review Commons, we like do, we articulate the peer review in a so-called journal agnostic way, meaning that uh, our reviewers are asked to comment on uh, the science in, in a manuscript without having in mind any specific journal standard. So we somehow in this way decouple like the scientific evaluation of a study from uh, like the editorial assessment that it's done at, uh, at the journal. And in this way, thanks to this journal agnostic peer review, uh, our reviews can be used multiple times uh, uh, by the different journals of our consortium. Which is kind of what we want peer review to be, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just to, before we get into how it all really works, where did Review Commons start? Where did the idea come from? How did it all come about? Well... As many of these projects, it is hard to pinpoint an exact starting point. And I think it's really important to see that review comments sort of came in this space after several other platforms um, were started and, and already existed. And, and one of those is, is the platform called Axios. And there were others, Peerage, uh, Peerage of, of Science and, and some others that were already doing preprint peer review and journal agnostic uh, review um, with more or less success. And so the concept of peer reviewing preprint was not completely novel. And I think we just came at the right time with the right combination of ingredients to make it work. Um, there was a turning point <clears throat> at one of the, the workshops organized by um, Azabayo in 2018, where Ron Vail really sort of crystallized the idea that we should add in-depth peer review to preprints to save a lot of work to the journals and make the, the, the journal-based um, publication process much more efficient. And at the same time, have total transparency of the of the peer review process and, and release the peer reviewed research publicly immediately. So he, at the time, he called that uh, peer feedback. And, and that was really the, the, the concept behind review comments. Uh, he proposed that at, at Azabayo 2018. I think the reception by, by traditional publishers was kind of lukewarm. It was not. It was not jumping of enthusiasm, but there was one group that jumped right away, and it was Embo and Maria Maria Leptin at the time was was the director, and and she stood up and she said, "We we are going to do that. We we are ready to do it." They met a little bit later, um, and managed to organize some some funding, and Azabayo had had some some funding to start uh, this this project. And this is where we really started to to draw, you know, boards and workflows and 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 brainstorm and, and it was a it was quite an elaborate process to find the right balance 
of features to make it work and also to find the role of the journals without losing this um, this focus on, on preprint and, and transparency in the in the peer review process. And uh, the second turning point <clears throat> was sometime in 2019, I think, I don't remember so exactly, when we started the discussion with PLOS and with eLife. And, and that was really decisive to have um, an initial core of, of like-minded uh, publishers who really wanted to, to make that happen. And then we were joined by Rockefeller University Press, by the company of biologists that has been super supportive. And from that moment, we had this sort of critical mass to, to launch a project that had some impact that was very clear in terms of the, the mission with regard to open science, preprint, posting the reviews, but that was also formally organized to be connected with traditional journals. And I think that was sort of the key of the success to have these two components nicely connected to each other. The timing's really interesting because when we had a chat with uh, Richard and John from BioArchive, the thing that they really sort of highlighted was the fact that it was just brilliant timing. The timing was right for preprints at the time to kind of really take off. It's true. And, and you know, as many of these projects, it is very hard to know when the timing is, is ripe. Actually, it's even true for preprint, you know, maybe you're probably too young to remember uh, Nature Proceedings. And it was a preprint platform from, from Nature. And, you know, it was to host posters. Okay, it was not so articulated by preprint, but it, it was essentially a preprint um, platform. And, you know, it was shut down. It was not so successful. <clears throat> and shortly after, BioArchive was launched and it was massive success as we know it. So, um, I think these things, uh, one has to be open, try it, see if it sticks, but maybe not be completely discouraged if it doesn't stick yet and, and start in slightly different conditions later. Yeah, absolutely. I also love that Ron Veil is, is at the beginnings of all of these things. He's just everywhere. Um, so let's say I have a preprint and I've uploaded it to the preprint server. What would the next step be for me as an author to get it nicely reviewed through your platform. So, I mean, in uh, in Review Commons, you have to first of all to submit your preprint. So this is like order trigger. The order have to make the first step. So on our website, there is our submission page. You submit your preprint, and then it enters, you know, our system. So um, we do have like an initial editorial selection at Review Commons. So we read the articles. We uh, we consult with our academic advisory board, which is composed by uh, young uh, group leaders and professors that are involved with, uh, with, our, uh, with our platform. And uh, um, the manuscript that passed this selection, which I have to say are a lot, they are around 80% of our submissions, they undergo this journal agnostic peer review. So usually, you know, three reviewers evaluate the study. And when we receive the reviews, we send them back to the others. And again, the others have to make their own decisions. So the first thing that they can do is to, uh, they have the possibility to post their reviews together with their responses to the reviewers on BioArchive and MedArchive, along with their original preprint, to have their reviewed preprint, which is already like the first outcome of Review Commons, which is independent from publication. And the others can also stop here if they want. 
But if they do want to like publish on a journal, uh, we give them the possibility to transfer this reviewed preprint to one of our journals. An important point of Review Commons is that if the first journal rejects this manuscript, the author can just go to the next journal using the same set of reviews. So the paper is not re-reviewed. And this is the way we avoid multiple rounds of peer review, thanks to the journal agnostic peer review. So then the, uh, the submission at the journal is like uh, curated by the journal itself that makes its own decision and also curate like the, um, the revisions. And finally, the authors can also uh, publish their paper in, uh, uh, in one of these journals. So with Review Commons, you basically have two different outcomes that are independent from each other, which are the reviewed preprint on one side and the published article on the other side. So I don't know about everyone else, but I find academics are notoriously difficult to bring together and agree on a single thing. But one thing academics do agree on is that peer review and the multiple rounds of peer review in particular is ridiculous and it's not. Um, and I'm asking this slightly cheekily because I know the answer, but a lot of publishers at the moment are trying to pretend like they charge so much money because they do this excellent peer review service. Um, so how much money are you guys all charging? Well, at the moment, we, we don't charge anything. Everything is for free for everybody, which is, you know, the usual expectation in, in scientific publishing is that things happen by magic for free. Um, now, of course, the reality is a little bit different. Uh, we have a team here at Review Commons, uh, Sarah. We have a second uh, scientific editor, Ruby, myself. Um, we have the entire Embo Press uh, team that contributes to Review Commons. These are 15 editors. To run this machinery, we need a little bit of infrastructure, but but most of the costs are, are really, you know, the salary to to run it and to to do the peer review. Um, so so this costs uh, costs money, and we will have to transition to a system where where we are self sustained and and, and find a financial model that covers the cost. Of course, the cost of the of the reviewers, the reviewers is also one one of these illusions. It seems to be all for free. In fact, it's not for free at all. Uh, all these reviewers spend five, six, even more hours uh, per manuscript to to read it and make a, a very detailed analysis. This is time that is taken on their job, on their salary. Um, it's often a, an activity that is not listed on their job description. Uh, but it should. And if this activity would be listed on their job description, uh, that would be accounted in, in the cost and the salary of, this, of, this, um, of these reviewers. So what I tried to say is that to operate a, a system of publishing that, that relies on in-depth, high-quality review, there is no miracle, absolutely no miracle. There, there, there is a need of people driving uh, the engine and and putting pressure on reviewers that they return uh, their reviews, putting pressure on on researchers to convince them to to review in the first place. it's It's actually very difficult to find enough reviewers these days. And this is true for review comments. It's true for um, our classical journals as well. And we can discuss maybe later what, what are the potential causes. But so, so publishing is a, is a high energy enterprise and things do not happen so spontaneously and, and one has to inject energy. And if you in, inject energy, it means people who are active and, and this means uh, 
cost in terms of salary. The, the technology and the infrastructure is not very expensive. We need to pay for an editorial system and these kind of things. Of course, these are real costs. As a pure peer review platform, review comments, we have this sort of advantage, if you want, that we don't have to sustain a, a publishing infrastructure, a website and you know, production and PubMed posting. Uh, this may change in the future, and and uh, for the moment, this is not a cost for us, but it's of course a cost on the side of the of the journalists. It's, it's interesting because cost is one of those things that's being talked about a lot at the moment from a lot of different angles, um, and researchers seem quite happy just to pay the money up for the journal thing. But when you switch it around and say you're paying for peer review, like what you like have done, for example, suddenly everyone's all up in arms and are complaining about the whole thing. And it's a really weird, because it, it's, it's, there's nothing really changed. It's just a, a think, it's just thought processes that's meant to be switching. Yeah, I mean, th this is part of a of a broader and and complex discussion, of course, on on what is the value added by peer review, by publishing, by selecting, by by formatting, by production. Um, and, and, you know, what is the price that people are, are ready to attach to this value? And what is the cost and, and whether it is possible to run that in a, in a sustainable way? It's a very complex debate because there are many variables that are linked to each other. <clears throat> the quality, of course, of the selection, the quality of the peer review, but also the, the function of publishing. What is the function of journals? What is the function of preprint? And how does this link, of course, to research assessment and to the progression of individuals? So it's it's a very complex uh, equation where it's almost systems biology. <laughs> you know, you have to almost have a, an AI model that sort of uh, doesn't explain anything, but it can, at least it can bind, you know, hundreds of different variables together. I think before joining ASAP Bio, I vastly underestimated the infrastructure behind all of the things that go on. Because um, that's the thing, as any academic is not really ever exposed to at all. You submit your paper on your sister, editorial system. It's not great, mostly, but that's all you see. And there's this huge infrastructure behind all of it. And I never thought about it until now. I have to think about it a lot. <laughs> um, but it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it it is true. It is true. When you you press the submit button, there is kind of a an army of minions and and things that are that are happening you know, for the for the best or for the worst. <laughs> so you've already said that you do an initial sort of triage and a bit of screening. What would lead to a preprint not being set for review? Yeah, so so it's true. We we do a triage, as Sarah mentioned. We we send uh, a substantial amount of of papers out, eighty percent. Um, we have a small team, so we we don't have the bandwidth to guarantee that we are going to peer review any submission one hundred percent. So we kept by principle uh, a triage step. Now the the first uh, criterion is very easy. It is that we peer review only research articles. We don't peer review commentaries, perspectives, reviews, and stuff like this. Um, it has also to be within the scope. So review comments actually have a scope, 
which is more or less the the union of the scope of the of the the journals but it's a little bit more restricted than that so journals like key life or, or plus one have very broad scope that include potentially things that we would not feel comfortable uh, reviewing anything that is clinical epidemiology uh, far-reaching evolution could be slightly problematic um, these kind of topics, we, we return the, the papers because we do not feel we would do a good job identifying experts. And also, especially for the clinical fields, the nature of the peer review is very different from basic research. And, and we, we are very mindful of that. So we, do, we would prefer to associate with medical journals to, to do that than trying to improvise ourselves. Um, now, an obvious criterion is that there should be a, a high likelihood or reasonable likelihood, I should say, not high, but reasonable likelihood to be able to convince reviewers to review the paper. And uh, that is not always the case. It's sort of linked again to the scope and to our network of, of reviewers. Um, and then it's linked really to whether a study finally represents sufficient advance um, such that the, the reviews that will be public, that's the function of review commons, is to make these reviews public. And so we, we want that these public reviews, they serve, of course, the authors to improve their paper, but they should serve a broader audience than just the authors. And, and that's the meaning of the public reviews. Really, we, we hope that these reviews can also be useful for a broader audience that is interested in this paper. And that is linked, it's not completely dependent, but it's linked to the advance of the paper. A paper that is very incremental, very specialized, with a very small community, if at all, of in potentially interested readers. It's unlikely that the reviews, when pu published uh, and, and posted publicly, will be of interest beyond the, the sole authors. And so that is a criteria, it's a gray area. Of course, there is no, not yet an AI algorithm that would do that for us, but we, we consult with our advisory board and we ask these different questions. You know, how likely is it that your colleagues will, will review what is kind of the, the advance <clears throat> in your own field? Etc. to to make a judgment call, and the result is that we send out eighty percent, not one hundred percent, but eighty percent of the papers. I guess talking about reviewers, as you said, everyone is kind of struggling at the moment to find reviewers, and a lot of people just don't want to do it at the moment for various reasons. How do you find your reviewers, and do you feel that your reviewer pool is more diverse than? a traditional journal publisher might use? Um, well, I, I can provide a, a comment and, and maybe I'll let uh, Sarah follow up. Um, starting with your, your, your last question, do we feel that the, the pool is more diverse? Um, we have measured that. So we, we, we look at the number of unique reviewers um, per average paper. So we divide the number of unique reviewers by the total volume of submissions. And we, we compare that with Review Commons, with Life Science Alliance, with our other journals. And indeed, the, the pool, the diversity of reviewers is, is higher at uh, Review Commons. Uh, 
this has multiple potential causes. This is speculation. We don't know. Um, we have to to invite a lot of potential reviewers to to secure three reviewers, similar to journals like Embryomolecular Medicine or, or Life Science Alliance which is sort of linked to the scope, to the breadth of the scope, to the level of the paper, the interest of the, of the reviewers doing the job, and also the visibility of the, of the platform. It's still a relatively young platform as compared to, to well-established journals. And maybe, Sarah, you, you can explain a bit how we, we identify reviewers from, from mm. the, the manuscripts. Yeah, you know, to answer this question should clarify who is handling the peer review at Review Commons. So it's, it's like the Review Commons team, so the editors of Review Commons, and we are like three, me, Ruby, and, and Thomas. Um, and, but we also uh, can count on the collaboration of the editors of the Embo Press group. So basically, especially when we started, it was extremely important for us because we were like a young, small team with like... Uh, a big volume of, of papers to, to handle in all possible disciplines. And the expertise of the editors of Embo Press really helped us uh, in, at the beginning to, uh, to immediately offer high quality peer review because they have on one side, like the experience and uh, um, you know, the, the, the network in a specific field. And they also had uh, like the, the credibility uh, of, of, the, of the Embo. Uh, you know, EMBO is very well perceived by the, the scientific community. So, I mean, an EMBO editor inviting like a peer reviewer has like more chances to, you know, get like a positive response compared to, you know, Sarah Monaco that just comes out from the lab. <laughs> so uh, this, this helped us a lot. And uh, um, and uh, and it is it is still like that. So now the, the peer review is done more and more by the the, the core review commons team. Um, but you know, counting on the Embo network was uh, was really important for us. And how we select reviewers, I mean, uh, uh, with you know very scientific criteria, we try to like identify you know the the people that are more expert in the field. We try to have a balance between you know more senior people, like younger people. Like we are trying more and more to engage with the early career researchers and also postdocs. And uh, uh, this is not like universally well perceived, the fact that, you know, younger scientists might join the, the reviewer's pool. But actually, uh, we think that uh, can also offer like a lot of, uh, of advantages. So we are trying to recruit more and more young people. That was going to be sort of the follow question. One of the things I see most frequently offered as a solution to the issue of finding reviewers is just to open it up to postdocs and ask them to do it. And as an example, when I was a postdoc, I did a lot of peer review mm -hmm. for some reason. I don't know why I kept getting asked to do it. Probably because I couldn't find anyone else. Um, and my reviews, the first few you do, terrifying, because nobody showed me how to do it. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but when you compare them to the other reviews, because I only generally review for where you can actually, the reviews are open and transparent. Um, they were always on par, I think. So that was that was reassuring for me, but also, Postdocs are experts, so it's nice that you can pick them up and use them. Yeah. And they like doing it. It's a nice <laughs> thing to say, review the paper. I mean, you learn a lot about science while you are really, mm. you know, going deep into it. Yeah. We also spend a lot more time on it because yeah. we're terrified. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to make sure it's good. Well, if I, if I can add uh, just a, a remark about that, 
I think it's true that <clears throat> to engage the, the younger community is super important. And maybe it's a slightly easier now because we have all this volume of transparent review. You know that the Tempo Press is publishing the reviews since now more than 10 years. Um, we have, of course, this body of, of reviewed preprint. So it's fairly easy now to find papers with example of peer review and learn from that and look how it, it's done. I think from from the point of view of a journal editor, since I was so long a, a journal editor, you know, on the other side, if you want, um, it is very important to have a balance of, you know, balance of ex expertise. So we try to find the reviewers that cover the different aspects of, of the, the paper and then a balance of seniority. There is something that comes with seniority, maybe some more distance in sort of, you know, appreciation of the difficulties of, of, of projects that do not always work. And senior people, they, they have this talent and this experience also to chunk a piece of work and go to the essential. With, with younger uh, uh, postdocs, uh, there is more tendency to go really in the detail and to be actually sometimes, you probably not, but sometimes a bit harsh with, with in mind that peer review, everything has to be correct and match and be corrected and no mistakes. And, and so we are quite keen to have a balance between these different point of view, which are, are, are super complementary. And, and just to finish, also, we, we see a great potential of postdocs and maybe potentially some new forms of peer review. We call that technical peer review, um, where a paper is really uh, evaluated in depth for the quality of the experiments, the quality of the demonstration, the, the description of the methods, the accuracy of the statistics, and so on. And, and apply to preprint that would have an enormous potential and potentially indicate a future road of peer review um, where there is technical peer review for the masses and for preprint. And then we are ready to post that and to, to use uh, this type of research right away because you know that it's solid, it has been well done. And then a, a peer review that is more like the, the journal peer review or the, the, the peer review at highly selective journals that go more in depth and, and provide more insight into the advance and potentially, you know, very useful suggestion how to develop a study and so on. And it should not be a two-speed peer review, but different, different angle of, of the peer review process. Um, and that is certainly something we, we try to think about a lot at, at EMBO. Yeah, I was never good at the technical stuff. I, I couldn't care less about details. I'm more big picture stuff. That's, that's where it's fun. Um, and it's easier to pretend you know what you're talking about when it's big picture because it's all just fluffy in the air clouds. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> so, and this is the conversational nature of me not sticking to any of the questions. Why do you both do this? Why do you feel like this is an important thing philosophically to, to do? <laughs> That doesn't come over in audio, that. Okay. <laughs> I, I, can, I can maybe, like, start. Um, so, actually, you know, um, when I applied for this job, so it was not very 
clear for me from the job but what this thing was about you know I applied for a job for a role that didn't exist before but you know I was a scientist like working in the lab I had just published like the main paper of like my my postdoc and it was for me I mean I, I was like coming from a very very difficult experience because I mean I had like this uh, big paper that was very interdisciplinary and uh, uh, it was not easy to to find like a home for uh, for 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 this uh, for this paper i mean in the end it was published very well in a very good journal but it took me three years and it took so long because i was going from journal to journal to journal and always having you know my paper re-reviewed so even if i didn't know what review commons was because it did not exist yet just the concept of you know this uh, you know having like a different way of publishing you know that will allow to to save like a lot of time because i mean time is really crucial for the career of scientists scientists can really not afford to waste time it's such a competitive business that you are out if you are not like within some like timelines so it resonated with me really a lot so when uh, uh, when I actually, you know, was lucky enough to, uh, you know, get hired to do this job, then I always had this in mind. I always had, you know, in mind how it is, like from the other side, from like the author's point of view, and uh, uh, to just trying to offer like a smoother and, uh, uh, and, and faster experience, which doesn't mean to take away the criticism, because this is like the core of the peer review. This is why it is done. But, uh, you know, still to bring like a change in the, in the way that things are uh, traditionally done in publishing. Yeah. <clears throat> Why am I doing that? Sometimes I wonder. <laughs> it, is, it is a lot of work. It's, it is a lot of, of energy. But at the end of the day, I just love science. And without disseminating the knowledge from, that is obtained from, from the labs, there is just no science. So, so publishing is really fundamental to the advancement of science. Publishing in the in the broad sense. And so, I'm really passionate about about that. I was for 15 years uh, editor of, of a journal. It was, you know, an emerging field, systems biology, and it was really important to sort of get it right. What was systems biology? What sort of papers do you study? Do you published, you know, which one do you not publish, it was very, very exciting to be open to this totally new fields, totally new way of, of thinking. And so we, I think we do that at Review Commons, but also at Embo Press, because we really want to have the best science being published very efficiently and, and accessible to the researchers. Now, what is the best science we could discuss, you know? up to tomorrow what it means but that is really i think the motivation of of many of us we are we have you know in terms of the job of being an editor or being involved in the peer review process in, in a professional way it's a very exciting job and I, I certainly encourage a lot of our you know listener and 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 young scientists who who listen to that to to think a little bit about, you are exposed to a breadth of science that is unbelievable. So, so you really discover, you know, one paper after the other. It can be daunting. At the beginning, when I started my job at Embo Journal, I could not believe it. You know, it would never stop. A day at nine, weekend, Monday, Sunday, 
morning, afternoon, midnight, there would be submissions coming in all the time. And it was a bit of a shock, but then you're also exposed to all this research that is, that is being done by, by people. And it is uh, absolutely fascinating. It is also a, a fabulous but formidable challenge to tackle that at scale. The amount of research that is being output by the labs on, on the planet is, is staggering. How do we organize this knowledge? How do we make it useful? How do we make it better? I think this is really what drives me currently um, with preprint, with review comments, with the journals. And, and of course, the, the elephant in the room is, is with AI that is sort of now changing or has the potential to change massively how we, we disseminate scientific knowledge. So that you know, I again I, I started with the, the podcast by saying it's a it's a great you know time to be in this area, and and maybe even more now than than even ten years ago when when I started. And bringing it back to the authors, and I, there's a lot of things we're not going to ask because we did a webinar. I think we did a webinar last month, um, and we can link to that. So people, if people want all the standard questions you get, you can go and, go, and, go and listen to that. So coming back to the authors, do you have any feel for how the authors find review comments and whether they believe it's a better experience, for example, than submitting just straight up to a journal? Yeah, so um, I have to say that talking to the authors, it seems that their experience has been extremely positive. And uh, this is like uh, a great satisfaction for us, actually. So um, I have like a lot of phone calls with our orders because especially when the project started, people were like a little bit confused about the workflow, what to do, the next steps and so on. So we offered like systematically after like the peer review to talk to, to, to me at that time because I was alone. Um, and a lot of others like uh, took this option. So I had like the pleasure to really see and talk to a lot of people. Um, and I have seen that, you know, their experience has been like, you, you know, generally very, very, very positive. And even if they were not like lucky with the reviews, so that sometimes, of course, they got like negative reviews or they think that, you know, the reviewers didn't get a part of their study and so on they were still very supportive about the project. And uh, this was like really, really nice to hear. And every time we go to conferences, not only like us, the Review Commons team, but the whole Embo Press team, we get very good feedback from, uh, from the, the, the audience. So this might all look like a little bit anecdotal, <laughs> uh, but actually we ran a survey like uh, um, last year on over a thousand uh, orders and reviewers of Review Commons. And we asked like, uh, series of questions and uh, the feedback was also in this case extremely positive for example we asked them whether they agree that our peer review should remain journal agnostic which is one of the pillars of, of review commons and the response was absolutely like in favor of the journal agnostic peer review so they found they found it like constructive uh, enough to like uh, uh, prepare the revisions, go to journals, be confident enough to make it public on the reviewed preprint. So also in this case, uh, um, the feedback was uh, was really really good. So uh, overall, it's good. <laughs> and there is, I think, 
there was a uh, survey done a year in with ASAP Bio as well, which is on our website, if people want to see some graphs, as well, uh, which reflects exactly the same point. So what advice would you give to other services who are coming up and want to offer preprint review? What have you learned in the few years that you have been doing this? What worked and what went horribly, horribly wrong? Don't launch a journal when there is a pandemic <laughs> being launched at the same time. <laughs> you got to coordinate all these things. Yeah. No, I think what we learned maybe is um, so we we change progressively our our policies almost every year to sort of go each step a little bit more transparent, a bit more towards posting the reviews and posting the preprint and enforce that slightly more than at launch. And at every step, we were quite anxious about making that step. The first step was to mandate the posting of a preprint. Which was sort of, you know, a no-brainer, given the mission of of review comments. But we wanted to start, and maybe that's also one of the key of the success. We started very, sort of, very open and non-dogmatic. And uh, so we were, we were quite worried uh, if we now impose to post the preprint, maybe people are going to be really angry, and um, and not at all, nothing happened at all. Um, and we 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 had sort of similar experience in the past when we started with the transparent process at Embo Press. We had endless discussions whether we should do that or not. And I remember actually I was quite scared, <laughs> I must I must admit. And at the end we did we did it um, and it worked very well and there was no pushback. And we also at the time left the authors, the reviewers, the possibility not to post the reviews and the authors to opt out. And nobody did. Nobody opt out, opted out ever. Or, you know, it was 98% sort of, you know, uh, North Korean democracy type of scores. Um, there was a, a vast unanimity that that was a good thing to do. And I think that is a little bit of a meme in publishing is that these steps that go towards more openness, towards more sharing, towards more transparency, are very scary. It sort of opens the floodgate to whatever. And and it's rare that it actually degenerates in, in, a, in a catastrophe. This is not to say that there are not concerns and there are, you know, disagreements and there can be things that go uh, less well than expected. But overall, over the, you know, all my years in experience, um, I have the impression that we are usually more scared than or, or more concerned, not scared, but more concerned than absolutely necessary. So in the interest of time and needing to walk a dog who is currently going through my pockets. Um, one final question. Um, if you imagine an amazing world where someone crazy has come along, give me the power to just dole out whatever I want at any, any given time. If you could each choose one single thing to change about the current publishing system, and you could change it overnight without anyone going up in arms and burning things down, what would that one thing be and why? Okay, so you are asking us if we have a dream. (laughs) 
if you have a well, yeah. <laughs> if I have yeah. a dream. Yes. So uh, I can start. I think, you know, from my point of view, um, what I would wish to change is that, you know, publishing system and what is considered like a scientific article will be like more diverse than what it is now. So that, you know, to get out from this like binary system of published, not published, and uh, to consider like different ways of, you know, disseminating peer-reviewed science. And, you know, in Review Commons, you know, the important, the very important thing is uh, the reviewed preprint. And the, the reviewed preprint is basically a preprint that is accompanied by peer review. And also like the concept of peer review is like less traditional than expected because I mean, usually we always assume that, you know, a peer reviewed study is an endorsed study. It's an endorsed that has received like a yes or no. But, you know, we can go like over this uh, simplistic concept and just say, you know, there is like an article, there is like the peer review that, you know, is like a comment from uh, like another scientist. And, you know, the reader who is another scientist can like judge it himself, you know, whether like the study is convincing or not. So we don't want to abolish journals, neither we want to abolish, you know, the published papers. I mean, we think it is still important, but to offer like... And a different outcome that can be before publication or also, you know, exist on its own, which is like a reviewed preprint. So what I will wish is that, you know, the reviewed preprint will be more and more recognized by funders, by institutions, universities, and all these entities that actually decide for scientists' career. It is um, really frustrating, I think, that we're still as scientists stuck in this era of print and the only possible output is this traditional journal article and nothing else can count and yet there's so much more we could be doing mm -hmm. and we could be innovating and we could actually be using the internet rather than just as a pdf and it's that that frustrates me a lot um <laughs> anyway sorry Samar? yeah well the one thing is is hard to find but i, I wish we we will be able to find solutions and, and technical solutions and policy solutions to have a shift away from from quantity to to quality. I think the the amount of papers being written and and published, the amount of new journals being launched is insane. And and that is I have a hard time that to imagine that this is at the service of, of the advancement of, of, of science. So I, I hope that the, the interplay between preprints and journal will go in this direction where individuals can have their research recognized in the form of preprint, in the form of, of, of reviewed preprints, like we already do that uh, at, at EMBO and, and we hope that more funders are going to follow, that individuals can be, especially the young individuals, can be recognized very fast and very efficiently and very equally with, with this mode of publication. At the same time, the, the role of the journal is very important in filtering, aggregating, coordinating, representing communities, and 
and maybe one hope would be that we would publish much less papers, much fewer papers in journals, only the best one, that every lab internally is incentivized to only publish very few, but very excellent, the very best, not at the detriment of the individual scientists, but as a, to publish them as collective achievement of the lab and to have a little bit of a separation between recognizing individuals and that's the dictatorship of, of the first author. It's important. Young scientists deserve the credit of all their effort. They totally deserve it. But now that's that's the obsession. And that we, we find mechanism that next to the, the recognition of the individuals for their career and, and of course, for, for their own satisfaction, we find also a way to incentivize collective achievement and, and publish much less papers and have much less burden on the peer review uh, community. Only probably a fraction of the papers that we send out actually really need in-depth peer review, public peer review that will serve you know, a broader com community. Uh, the other papers, if it would not be linked to individual assessment, it would be probably totally fine to have technical peer review and a, a very fast and efficient uh, process. So that's my wish is, is that we find ways to acknowledge individuals, encourage collective achievement, and that we can sort of privilege quality over, over quantity um, in, in some bright future. Yeah, I've been saying for a while we should do a lot less publishing and more focus on actual the quality that we publish. And also, there's too many journals. We don't need as many journals, and they just grow more every day. It's... Yeah, I just read this the the, the this report from Esposito. It doesn't make any sense. This is it's, I, I think it's uh, it's really a tumor. So, I think that's it. Thank you so much both. Um, we'll add links so people can can get in touch and jump over to review comments and hopefully. I suspect a lot of people who listen to this are early career researchers, so maybe we might add to your review tools a little bit. Okay, cool. Where do I find out about the different bioarchive licenses? This CC, BY, CDXY nonsense is driving me nuts. Hey, that bio have a resource for that? Ugh, that's your answer to everything. That's because they have everything you need to know about preprints. Sure, they probably have the basics, like info on the preprint servers, but what else is there? There's so much more. Looking to post a preprint, but not sure what different journal policies are? They have a collection to help you out with that. There are meetings around preprints and associated services. If you want to know how preprint adoption has changed over time, there's even a page on that. And COVID? They have a big section on preprints and the pandemic, plus some really cool infographics for communicating preprints. And university policies? Surely they don't have that. They collect uni policies where possible. Okay, okay, they do sound pretty impressive, but is it not a bit of an echo chamber? It can be, but ASAP Bio also engage with people who don't love preprints and have concerns. So we had an excellent discussion on this very topic a couple of months ago. Ugh, is there anything ASAP Bio don't do? Honestly, no, they're so nice over there. They were so quick to jump in and support this show. It's your one-stop shop for info on preprints and open science initiatives. So head over to asapbio.org to learn more and subscribe to their newsletter for the latest in preprint news. If you want a deeper dive into the world of preprints, then look out for the next recruitment of ASAP Bio Fellows.
And that's the show, folks. If you enjoyed listening, then hit that subscribe button to get the latest updates straight to wherever it is you're listening. Don't forget to rate us on Spotify or Apple and follow us on Twitter at MotionPod. You can find links to things we've just discussed on our website, preprintsinmotion.com. If you'd like to tell us what you think, then send an email, shout at us on Twitter, or shout at us if you see us walking down the street. This has been a JMJ production, generously supported by our friends at ASAP Bio. Until next time, have a good week.